but what apostolic people do so well is is show us that we're not losing something when we change in favor of god's plan his call his mission we actually they, they help us to see that we're going to gain something hey welcome to the forge america missional podcast i am your host roland smith this is the interview edition and uh, we are excited to have once again his second covid appearance uh, Brian Sanders uh, speaking to us all the way from Dublin, Ireland. How's it going, bud? It's going, it's going well. It's though, going. Even though the, the Irish are about to lock down again, so it won't be going for long. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking before I hit record, and you guys are um, about to go into serious lockdown mode. Um, yeah, to- total lockdown. They're really trying to get it under control. So it's, yeah. it's you know, it's, no one's panicking, but at the same yeah. time, you got, you got to get your affairs in order because you're not going to be able to go anywhere or do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these are, these are crazy times and, uh, you know, a lot of the people listening or, uh, in church communities and some of them are, uh, brick and mortar. Some of them are house churches, but we're all trying to kind of figure out also how to do ministry and to join God and his work and mission um during this time and that can even be hard you know when you can't get a house church together uh, to me mm-hmm. it's like you don't you know zoom doesn't quite feel incarnational right <laughs> but um so what uh, maybe i'll just kind of kick off by just asking you uh because we visited right at the beginning of covid uh you were on the p- podcast and we were call- kind of talking then about what have some what are some possible innovations that churches will start to think about and we talked around, you know, a lot of the things that we we talk of in, in kind of missional ecclesiology. Now that we've been through the summer, and I know you've had podcast conversations and other conversations, uh, mostly on Zoom probably, um, what are you hearing people talk about now theoretically? So let's first just talk about like theoretical innovation. Like what if we did this uh, what are the things that you're kind of hearing? Well, I, I, th- I think it's probably important to just say that it's interesting that we're hearing chatter about change at all. You know, that, that actually adaptation is a skill set that the church possesses. You know, there, I think there's this... Um, notion that the church the the sort of institutionalized church is just incapable of change you know and 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 plenty of evidence maybe to support that hypothesis but and maybe even in our own experiences of church and church leadership it, it can feel slow and stodgy and resistant to change and yet if you look at if you look at the story of the church like if you zoom out and really look at the story of the church over maybe more than just even my lifetime or your lifetime or the lifetime of your church. Yeah. Actually, the church is not just resilient, but one of the most fluid, flexible entities the world has ever known. Right. It, it's, it's actually part of our, I don't know, our inheritance as, mm-hmm. a, as a people is that we can, you can reimagine, reinvent, and renew the church anywhere, anytime, among any people, in any context 
under any circumstances. It is just this amazing thing. It's like a super organism that can't yeah, that, be. So that's a really cool thought, but let me push back on it just a little bit. Cause I had this conversation uh, with a buddy. Um, you know, there's this thought that over time as the West has kind of gotten hold of, um, you know, our, our models and our ecclesiologies that the, the apostolics, the prophetics are kind of, they're kind of pushed to the outside and sometimes they're just pushed outside the walls to go start their own things or whatever. Do you think that that apostolic um, DNA is still in the paint in brick and mortars today? In other words, like, do you think that, you know, shepherd teachers can um, release back to apostolics to become innovative? Well, that's just it, Roland. I, I didn't think so before COVID. You know, like if you would have asked me a year ago, I'd have said no. You know, the the change agents have all left the building, or they're there but they're repressed. You know, and and mm-hmm. no one's going to take them seriously. But maybe that's putting a little too much, um, I don't know, a little too much responsibility on just those people that have change as a part of their personality. You know, right. some of us like it. You know, what I mean, right. some of us look for it. You know, right. it thrills us. You know. Um, I read something recently where it's, uh, I forget what it was, but they were saying essentially people don't fear change, they fear loss. You know, so, so our, our issue at its core is maybe like change is the, is the veneer of it. Like, oh, I don't want to change. But really, it's a deeper thing, which is I, I don't want to lose something that's precious to me. And that loss aversion, of course, is deep in the American psyche, you know, and not just institutional people, but everybody has a, has a sense of losing something. Um, but what apostolic people do so well is, is show us that we're not losing something when we change in favor of God's plan, his call, his mission. We actually, they, they help us to see that we're going to gain something from doing that, you know. But, but we've seen all of a sudden we're seeing shepherd teacher led churches change adapt quickly i mean maybe they're not doing it perfectly they're not doing exactly what i would do they're not making and maybe they're not wanting to but they're some of this is forcing it right they're reluctant yeah yeah and yet and yet the most resistant to change people I know. I mean, there's some churches here in Ireland that we know that we work with. I just think in a million years, that person would never do anything different. And here they are, you know, trying to go online or something like that. And so, again, maybe it's not the tactic I would choose per se, mm-hmm. but it, 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 what's the sort of meta message there is that they can do it. Like if nothing else comes out of this, but that we look at ourselves and go, you know what? Um, if we had the will to do it, we could change anything. Like we, we're, we're, we're capable of it. It's not beyond our skill set, you know? Yeah. So, um, so here at, at the, ch- the church I'm on staff at, you know, um, you know, a little bit larger congregation, a thousand with kids, um, already kind of has a missional type DNA, like very active in the world and, and social justice and the margins and those kinds of things. Uh, but still a brick and mortar institution that has kind of a worship service every week. You know, it's a little bit Sunday centric. And so there's always kind of this tension, push and pull. We recently just uh, launched, uh, intentionally launched um, a microchurch network. Uh, 
And a lot of it is kind of built off of stuff that you've written about. When I visited underground, it came off of some of the notes, you know, that I had from the immersion there. And, um, and so we've taken some of those things and tried to kind of shuffle the playing cards. And it's like, how can an institution actually paradigm shift to uh, an, not just an outreach ministry, but an actual movement in the city? And um, I think we've had some good luck because our leadership is was already on board with that. Are you seeing... Um, are you seeing churches, institutional churches, actually, you know, try to kind of launch practical things like that, or is it still in the conversation mode, and there's, and we're still kind of waiting on COVID to leave, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think I think we're seeing like your story is is, um, you know, you, you're not alone in that. I, I suppose some people maybe are making that choice or that change. Uh, reluctantly, like you said, uh, some people are making it tactically. So they're thinking this is, this is what we can do, you know? So it's, they're, they're not, they're not reluctant. They're happy to make it because they just think, well, you know, what are the spare parts on the table? What can we make with it right now? Sure. We can gather in this way. So they figured out, but I, I think also maybe it's, maybe it's a minority of people, but I think also there's a, there's a group of people out there that are asking the deeper, more penetrating question, which is like, what actually is the church? And mm. I just think that's a more important question could not be asked right now um, in our time because it frees us. You know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's so, it's so primal that question, like, okay, well, actually, and, and it, 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 it reveals that a lot of what we're doing in the church, is just a choice, you know, it's just, like I was just, the other day I was just reading, um, I'm going through Mark and I was just reading Mark six where Jesus says, you know, something about you, you, you have let go. So I, I was caught by that. You've let go of the commands of God and you've held on to human traditions. And then I think later, or maybe it's Mark seven. And then later in Mark seven, he says, um, and you do many things like that, you know? <laughs> so it just makes me think we're always doing that. And we're always kind of like, it's, we're not we can either hold on to kind of like God, the word of God, you know, God's heart, mm -hmm. or we can hold on to our traditions, you know, but, but it's, it, you can't really hold on to both. You have to let go of one and hold on to the other. And, and we're still facing that challenge today, but, you know, I, I think we're seeing some people ask the deeper question and actually go, I mean, could, could we just do church differently because we think it, it could be better or because we think it's, it's actually something God's spirit in our time is leading us towards. Now, again, it doesn't have to be animosity there between like decentralized church and, and traditional or, you know, whatever prevailing model kind of forms of church. And I think that also is something I'm having to repent of Roland, which is yeah. something I'm learning, which is like, why can't we come to, to that, place from both directions sure. you know so you've got startups i think we've even maybe talked about this but you got like startup networks that don't have certain baggage but they also don't have any skills they don't have any experience they don't have any history but they can sort of build from the ground up but even if you do that if you plant that way as a network or a small decentralized or empowered network or something, mm -hmm. you still have to figure out how are you going to resource? How are you going to centralize some function 
what we would call the dual operating system. How are you going to get your centralized function? You know, so why not have a church that already has the centralized function down, even if it's dysfunctional, right. they've got that bit and they're moving. You want to move toward the creation, like you're saying, what you're yeah. doing, the creation of a network served by that centralized hierarchy. Yeah. And I think that's the way we're thinking of it. I was, I was on a um, call with Dan White Jr. And, you know, when he was saying, you know, at, at V3, for example, they have not, he, he's made the statement, we haven't really witnessed a movement without some kind of centralization. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be like a, you know, like current church architecture where it's very, very hierarchical, but it's got some kind of resourcing, um, you know, the people that kind of uh, curate the movement, they care for it, they, you know, they make sure it's healthy, that kind of thing, a lot like you guys did it in Underground. And so that's how we approached it uh, here at our church, you know, is, is, you know, how can our church be, you know, if you looked at a graphic of, of our network we launched, there's a dashed line between a little church drawing and the hub of the network, you know, and that dashed line is are things like resourcing and um, experience and age and gray hair and kind of knowing how to do some things, but also releasing it, you know, um, apostolically. So, um, yeah, and, it, let, and let's, let's, let's be frank, there, there's going to be different challenges to you doing that. And right. if you try to start from the ground up and, and in some ways it, it depends on your proclivity, you may look at it and say that's harder or that's worse of an experience. Mm -hmm. uh, but it just depends on you. I think, I think this, the startup, the zero to one from scratch, a network from scratch is hard in different ways, right. know, they're, but they're both gonna, they're both gonna have implicit hurdles to overcome. Uh, some some that are very very difficult to overcome. So it's, we're not saying, oh, if you have an existing church, just add a just add a decentralized network. That'll be easy. That'll go great. That'll be no right. problem. Well, right. no, it will be. It'll have plenty of problems. But so would starting one from scratch. Sure, sure. Well, so so let's um, let's kind of shift because the you know, whether it's an institution that's birthing an, a movement or it's a movement from scratch, there are going to be some commonalities, I think, and, and we're kind of experiencing that here, um, which is, okay, now we've got this structure, uh, at least in our heads and our hearts, and we kind of think we know how we're going to join God in the city. Um, and so you want, you want to build momentum and movement, you know, you want to, um, invite micro churches, uh, whether they're businesses or, you know, kind of parachurchy looking or house churches, and you want to incubate and kind of launch new things. Um, what, what are some ways, and maybe you can even just recount from early underground days, you know, it's like, what are the lessons learned from, okay. I'm bought in now. How do we kind of get get the ball rolling? I mean, yeah. So theologically, I think the the goal, the dream, would be for Jesus to be the head of His church. You know, um, so practically, pragmatically, what does that mean or look like um, for us? The way we've kind of looked at that or framed that is it has to do with calling, individual calling. You know that 
that somehow has to be, there has to be some kind of renaissance within your community for people turning their gaze toward God and hearing him speak to them in a specific personal way about mission, about going, about being sent somehow, somewhere. Now, I think there's plenty of things we can do to stimulate that, to create an environment where that can happen and where that's rewarded and celebrated, applauded, you know, and there's also plenty of things we can do to block it, you know, to stop it. Um, But at the end of the day, we can't call people to mission, really. I mean, we can, but it'll be it'll be idolatry, you know, Uh, and, and it just won't be as it won't be as genius. You know, it, it, it won't be the proper distribution of your people as Jesus. He'll just do a better job right. <laughs> at distributing his people. So it, to me, it's also about getting back to what, you know, Daniel Pink talks about um, intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. You know, mm-hmm. like we, we, the church has too long relied on extrinsic motivations for, for participation and mission you know, to be part of the community or to join in something we're doing or something. And there is such a thing as intrinsic motivation, which is like, you're going to wake up every day and you're going to do that thing because it's inside you and no one actually is going to stop you in point of fact. So, you know, I always think, I think, well, if I have a, let's say I have a child with disability or something like that. Look, I wake up every day. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to think about him or her. I'm going to think about my friends, other couples who have someone in a similar situation it's like that's our heart that's our life and so if i was trying to do mission or i felt called by god to do mission to that community to either the kids or the parents or whatever nobody has to convince me that that's important you know i mean nobody has to like get up and preach a sermon every two or three weeks because i'm forgetting that god cares about those people you know that's intrinsic motivation it comes out of you and somehow we've got to find a way to stir that up again yeah. to help point people toward, to help people hear God in that somehow. Like what, what is you're already kind of have some zeal about or passion about. Um, and so I, I, whatever we do, so structurally, tactically changes you make to, for me, that is step one. That is sort of point one is can people hear G, the voice of Jesus in their own life, be him sending them somewhere into mission. Then we show up. Then we show up with like, okay, we can walk with you in that. We can support you. We can train you. Mm-hmm. We can provide theology, which makes sense of that for you. Uh, we can we can create a community which with other people that are doing the same thing. The glue then becomes not that we're doing the same thing, but that we're following the same person, that we're actually all stepping out in risk, which is, that's that's, you know, obvious language from the missional discussion. But I think what, what we miss sometimes is mission is not just something that we're co-opted into or that we're invited into by somebody else's idea. You know, like, let's all, this, this is my kind of, it's not, I don't really have a problem with it, but it's my, my small niggle with, with DMM stuff. It's like, yeah. just, it doesn't matter where you go and who you're with. You just go to whomever. And that's probably not what they mean, but yeah. yeah. But, but I, I want to see that sort of creative sending, that, that uniqueness, the fingerprint, in a sense, of calling that, that gets put on a person, which generates this intrinsic motivation, that that becomes the fuel for the structures we create, the networks we yeah, form, yeah. the resources we provide, and so on. Well, yeah, and I guess... Yeah, I'm going to nail you down a little bit more, <laughs> you know, like in a coach framework. So, I mean, we're on the same 
we're on the same thought process here, but so what I'm thinking is, okay, you, you've got a, you've got a structure set up or you're, um, you want to winsomely, um, blow on the flames inside of people that maybe they're not even aware are there, right? You, you, you want to uh, remind them as father, you know, sent his disciples disciples and said, Jesus, you're sent. And, um, and so you want to blow on those coals so that a fire ignites, um, not pressure them into mission, but you want to create an environment so that God can speak to them and say, yes, I want to do that. What are, you know, what are some ways practically that that kind of stuff happens, you know? So I want to pull you way down um, ground level. And it's like, you're coaching a a church or a group. And it's like, you know, what, what did underground do? It's like you create kind of worship and prayer and communion type services. And, Mm -hmm. and you're talking about mission in the city and that kind of thing. And you're, and you're just kind of waiting for God to move Um, or how much strategy, you know, do you kind of push into that? Yeah, it's good. Great point. And I mean, you know, I think you, you sort of, you know, uncovered some things there, right? You know, even just using the word coaching, I think for me, that's a primary skill now for ministry. Like if you're thinking about essentially triangulating with Jesus to serve a person as they try to do what it is he's called them to do, you see yourself really as a, as someone that comes alongside, you know, that kind of, um, you know, story brand stuff, you know, the, yeah. the, the sage person that comes alongside or something. So it is, it is coach coaching and providing coaching and being a coach to people to hear, hear the voice of God and walk in it. I think creating events, you know, l- liminal experiences or catalytic experiences, moments for people. We're pretty good at preaching and music and stuff. So why right. not use that? Um, why not use that for, a, a, a purpose, you know, creating like we we created a little curriculum called the Calling Lab. Mm-hmm. Um, but we used to do in the early days, we used to do just calling retreats or calling weekends, and it was just mostly cr- carving out space for for listening prayer. So you know, you however you do that. Um, it's sad to me too that that a lot of the people that are that are latching on to to calling and maybe even trying to launch microchurches and that sort of thing maybe are less Pentecostal charismatic. And then I, then when I'm consulting with a charismatic Pentecostal church, they're, they're, they're slower to, to grab onto that. And that, that just feels to me like a, a sad uh, bifurcation because it feels to me like if you had the charismatic genes, you know, the Pentecostal genes, that's perfect. Yeah. For launching microchurches because listening people, to the spirit, where am yeah, I supposed to go? Yeah. You're comfortable with a prophetic right. word, right? You're comfortable. Mm-hmm. You believe that God speaks to you. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, I want to push my, my Pentecostal charismatic friends and brothers and sisters to be like, you know, don't, don't, don't wimp out at the last, the yeah. last part of your prophetic God speaking to all these cool words, but what the last word, which says go here and yeah. lay down your life for these people that, you know, yeah. don't, don't, hold off on hearing that bit. And then the other, you know, the other side of it is people that are scared about hearing God's voice or they're, they're confused by it. Or they, they don't really know that they ever have, or don't know how, or that's not, that's not really part of the language of their tradition or something. So however you do it, however you, you find your way to it. Um, 
So, so within the tradition, then, can you create some kind of event or a curriculum that that helps people hear God? I mean, you know, you 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 fill in what that means for you. Um, yeah. I think I think that's possible. And then the other practical thing that you have to do uh, is be ready to provide actual help to those people once they do hear something. So if if they if they come out of an event like that or prayer time or uh, go through a curriculum and they say, I think God has called me to, you know, teenagers, or I think God has called me to athletes or violin players or skateboarding, you know, Lord of the Rings fans or something. <laughs> uh, and, you know, can, are you as a church going to be able to say, we're ready for you? You know, yeah. here's, here's now how we're going to come alongside you and help you like real tangible um, programs or help for those people. So again, the programs aren't something we recruit people into. Like we made a program, please stop what you're doing, drop everything and come to our program. But actually our programs are a response to God's leadership in people's lives. And, and so for me, going back to the kind of theory of it or the theology of it, that's really putting Jesus at the head of his church. Sure. Yeah. You know, we're not for what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. I mean, for me, that's just like the perfect verse for our time. You know, we, we, we don't preach ourselves. The world, everybody's creating a personal brand. You know, we don't do that. We preach Christ Jesus as Lord. I mean, over the whole of your life, not just 10%, not just Sundays, not just one day a week, not just volunteering a few hours, but like your whole entire life and ourselves. Cause we're here to help you as your servants for Christ's sake, your servants for Christ's yeah. sake. Isn't that cool? I mean, yeah. Yeah. for me, there's, that's like a, that's like a cutting edge leadership philosophy. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's, yeah. it's so, um, I mean, well, at least for me and my own wiring that that's exciting is to be able to equip resource, uh, walk with other people and just kind of witness what God is doing. It does. I mean, I do think there's a tension right now. Um, and I've felt this myself. Um, you know, for example, we have a dispersed church, right now that is watching a live stream or they've been doing different things. We've encouraged people to get into small groups and watch the live streams, kind of these little movements into neighborhood. And um, some people that don't want to use the live stream because they're sick and tired of watching worship services on TV, which I totally understand. Then they ask for resources. You know, what are some prayers or how do I do a house gathering or what are some things that I do? And some, you know, we know all this stuff in our head. I'm talking about myself, you know, I know all this stuff in my head and I can talk for a long time about it, but we've actually needed a file drawer here, you know, where I can like, I can reach in and say, you know, here's, here's, you know, two dozen ancient, prayers. Here's a way to do, you know, a table at your house and do church around a table. Here's a way that here's some different liturgies for house church. Here's, And I know underground has kind of thought through this kind of stuff for a while. I think a lot of us that are, have been forced into kind of dispersion by COVID are now saying, oh man, we, uh, 
you know, we didn't have the resources that we thought we had. I mean, we were really good at preaching behind the pulpit, doing worship music on the stage, you know, and doing the activities of Sunday centric, but we don't have a lot of dispersed resources, even though we know the theology and know how to find it. You know what I mean? So it's just yeah. kind of hard to resource when you're not prepared. And um, Well, and I mean, to be fair, I mean, I, I think we're all in the same boat. I mean, even people that have fresher approach to ministry, the world, you know, it's, it's kind of like Moore's law, you know, it's just, it's going to change so fast that even, I mean, I wrote underground church, what, three years ago or something. It's like some of the stuff, even now I'm like, "Mm, you know, (laughs) probably, probably need to rethink that. I mean, already second, the second, the second you publish something, it's it's borderline obsolete like it's taken yeah. so long because change is so rapid so really the issue is not what we know and can we keep using the stuff we know the issue is can we learn and to me that's the meta skill of the 21st century is learning like I, i'm not going to hire someone for example now i'm not interested in hiring someone with a lot of knowledge or experience Pe- knowledge and experience can be cataloged you know it can be found it's what we're looking for is a person that's good at learning you know, you're looking for a person that you can say, look, you don't know how to do this right now, but I need you to figure it out by Friday, you know, and that person goes, yeah, sounds good. I'll figure it out. So I think what's hard about us, what's hard about the situation we're in now in like traditional churches is, is not that our stuff is going out of style because that's always going to happen. That's always been yeah. happening, but it's that we can't trust our expertise. That's like a shot to our ego, you know, because we feel, we feel like we're good at something and, we have to let go of that. But what I'm saying, Roland, is that everyone is in that boat. Nothing is the same even that it was two years ago. So either we learn quickly to adapt and to kind of enjoy that, uh, or we're going to be in trouble going forward. Like no matter what, even if, even if you get microchurches down or network down or whatever, I promise you, I promise you in five years, that's going to be under strain by something. And, and can, can you pivot? Can you adapt from that and actually hold on to your salvation or your soul or whatever in the midst of it uh, and your sanity? Uh, that's, that's the trick. Yeah. And perhaps that's the, that's the liminal tension of the brick and mortar institutional church, you know, to try kind of use a broad brushstroke is because it hasn't been very adaptive except in style you know, like music style or something like that. So, or technology, you know, but as far as kind of apostolic kingdom style, there hasn't been a lot of pliability to the church or or movability. And so now there's this liminality that we're living in. that's just like uh, kind of, it's not really wreaking havoc. It's havoc. It's just kind of forcing people to rethink, which, which is an opportunity as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, in, in, in business and industry, that's called disruption, right? It's, yeah, yeah. It's actually, it happens to markets. It's actually a good thing. It, it, it's a life-giving. Ultimately, it generates new ideas, innovation. Uh, the, the, the market itself is improved by the disruption, you know, long-term. But, you know, when you're in the midst of it, you're worried. And it shakes your, your foundations to sure. some degree. But that's a moment where I think we as theological people, as people who believe in something called the sovereignty of God, we don't really need to be afraid. So going back to that issue of like, is it a fear of change or is it a fear of loss? I think 
I think we, we shouldn't be afraid of, of losing anything because the thing which is most precious to us is right there in the storm. You know, his, his face is, is there for, for our gazing, you know, right in the middle of all the craziness. And that's another thing I'm seeing. I don't know about you, but like, yeah, even as traditional churches are struggling, they're drawing near to God. You know, they're drawing near to Jesus, like leaders, key people, maybe more than they have before, you know, so that's not everyone, obviously, but I think that's a pretty beautiful outcome. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, disruptive times like this, hopefully uh, those of us that, especially that lead, but any of us that follow Christ, it's, you know, these disruptive times force us back to the face of God, you know, and just say, okay, who am I in my identity? And in spite of what's going on around me, you've still called me into your kingdom. So how, you know, what's the new way that I do this? And so, um, you know, I hope that for a lot of pastors, cause I, you know, I keep seeing guys and women and, you know, all kinds that are just tired, you know, they're really, really tired uh, from the time. So, well, so, I mean, with a few hundred kind of church leaders uh, listening to this podcast, you know, what, you know, what would be your kind of encouragement into this time, you know, as someone that um, kind of thinks of, thinks of things like this in a futurist, but theological kind of way, like what would you encourage people with? I don't know. I mean, maybe I guess I'm just feeling that that prompting, like what you just said, just that. I don't know if this is a desert for us, then, you know. Well, the 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 desert fathers, the mystics, you know, they used to say you go to the desert to fight the devil. You know, actually, what you do in the desert, you go looking for God, but actually you meet is the devil. <laughs> um and and that there may be some truth in that. Like during this time, we may be, you know, our our demons may be exposed to some degree. Mm -hmm. And I would say, like, drink that in, like fight that, see that, see your own shortcomings. Um, see where your faith was maybe more performance than it was heartfelt. Um and and maybe in repentance. It's, it's not just about changing our systems or changing our approach or our model or our tactics. It's about our hearts, you know, like that, that idea of real metanoia, that personal internal change. And for those of us that are leaders to just, I don't know, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So it's our chance to like face our shortcomings, both systemically and personally mm. repent return to the heart of God. You know, I, I just think it's possible, Roland, that what comes out of COVID is just a renewed workforce, like a renewed, a group of people that are just like in love with Jesus again, not in love with their models, not stuck to any one thing, but, but really just loving Jesus. Now I know that, that for some people that they won't come out of this mm -hmm. because actually they were just in it for the prestige or for the position or for the, a place on the platform. And if the platform goes, they go. But how, how can that be a bad thing? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's probably a good thing. So I would, just, I don't know, I guess my, my, just as you asked that question, my heart is just like, seek the face of God again, like get renewed in your own calling, 
you know, and get back to go, you know, eye of the tiger, you know, get, get, go back to the, the original gym and get that, that thing back that sent you, that catapulted you into ministry in the first place, which is Jesus. And then you'll be ready for anything. I mean, because it's coming, like more change is coming, much more change is coming. And we could talk all day about what we think those changes are and try to be, try to do the forecasting necessary to get ahead. And I think we should, and I love doing that and I'm doing it constantly. But if, if you get that first thing, right, if you get, if you're really looking in beholding Jesus, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Except your own pruning was what I was thinking. Too. Good. Yeah. So it all, could be a all, time the, all the little branches off of us, which is yeah. our worship, whether it's our worship service or our ministry or our doing this or what, just accept your own pruning. And, and, uh, I wonder too, bring. brother, I wonder too, brother, if it's just like, you know, I hate to say it, so I, maybe we can delete it later or something, but, um, edit it out. But, but like, <laughs> could it, could it be good for the church in the West to get smaller? For a little while you know like yeah. did it did we grow in a sense did we get too many fakers you know in the in the body that were kind of were in it for the wrong reasons and or just don't have a real faith you know and now we're all being kind of judged by this big pool of people that call themselves evangelical christian or something mm-hmm. and i'm not 100 percent sure that they really are you know, in love with Jesus or trying to follow his way or whatever. So a, a pruning yeah. could, could possibly be a good thing for, for, for our time uh, to renew us. So we, we, Christians always perform better as, as, a, as a minority. I think as Eugene Peterson yeah. said that, like we're, we're at our best when we're positioned as the, as the little guy. In, you know, as, as not in the majority, not holding the power. We're not good in the majority or with the power. We're, we're at our best sort of blowing the trumpet of goodness and righteousness and kindness and a bearing witness to the coming kingdom when we're in a minority. Yeah, yeah that's a great word. Well, man, I, uh, I could like just talk uh, all morning um, or afternoon for you, um, but uh, that's a great place, I think, just to, to kind of leave it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so appreciative of your, um, your strategy for the church, but also just, just calling people back to the basics and the simplicity of just, like, being dusty and try to stay right behind Jesus, you know, and, and, and figure it out and you're going to be okay. So I really, really appreciate that word uh, to everyone. Um, real quick, how can, you know, what have you got coming up or going on and, you know, what's, what's a good way for people to keep up with you um, if they're not following you already? Uh, don't keep up with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we do have a, the, the, you know, that microchurches book, a smaller way. That's yeah. it. Which I highly recommend. Yeah. Yeah. You can go to a smaller way.com or I think is what it is, but yeah, uh, that's probably worth reading. I, I didn't know COVID was going to happen when we wrote it, but it does seem like, you know, a useful, yeah. timely um, idea, a time whose idea has come. Yeah, across. sure. Yeah. An opportunity. Well, cool. And um, I'm sure we'll hook up again. Hopefully, we, the next podcast we have in a few months and have you on will be out of COVID or it'll just be part three 
And uh, it's kind of like I was joking with you earlier. We may end up with a Brian Sanders series, COVID series, you know, where we just kind of track the church through COVID and, uh, and talk about it. So but, it's great talking to you. Man. Hey, it's great to have you. Forge really appreciate you. And uh, thanks for being with us, man.